just want to share a little bit about our ministry, MEDA, Ministerios Evangélicos de las Américas, Evangelical Ministries of the Americas. Uh, we are located in the center of the Western civilization. Uh, we, we are in Ciguatepeque, Honduras. It's the center, a center city in Honduras, and we just uh, looked it up in Wikipedia just uh, recently, and it says uh, Ciguatepeque is considered the geographical center of all the Americas, from Canada all the way down to Argentina. So imagine that. So we are right dab in the center there in, uh, in, of the Americas, and so uh, that's a little trivial uh, note that uh, is kind of interesting. Uh, what do we do there? Well, we have... Um, we started there in nineteen in two thousand. I'm sorry, in two thousand. We, uh, my family and I, arrived in Honduras in two thousand and one, January of two thousand one. So we've been there thirteen years, and uh, we would be here all day just to tell you all that the Lord has done to, to bless that ministry. And I don't know, maybe I should take the exchange rate and just. And he gave me fifty minutes, and maybe I, you know twenty point something. So that we'll be here all week. I think you know just. Talk about what the Lord has been doing. It is just a, a marvelous uh, blessing there at Meda. Uh, we have a couple of mottos that we've used in the past. We started off as we uh, concentrate on expository preaching. And, and, and this is what we said. And it, it really sounds good in Spanish. It's sort of alliterated in Spanish. But it's, it, this is the essence. Expository preaching is not a delivery method. Rather, it is a mandate for precision. A lot of people think expository preaching, you know, that's just another way of preaching. I, I kind of like expository preaching, and I kind of like other kind of preaching. No, there's really only one kind of preaching, and it's the preaching of the word, expositing the word, that's what expository preaching is, just taking the text, explaining it, and uh, applying it to our lives. Uh, so there really is no other kind of, it's, it's a mandate, it's not a method, it is a mandate to be precise with God's word. And then just recently we coined this uh, phrase as well, which uh, I believe just sort of uh, gives the essence of what Meta does. We train pastors, or we train men, to preach Christ with power passion and precision, power, passion, and precision. And so our, our mission statement is to promote the exaltation of Christ in Latin America through the spirit-filled, powerful, passionate, and precise preaching of his word. And we have three foundational pillars, if you will, that mark uh, Meta. Uh, the first one is the exaltation and enjoyment of Christ. Christ obviously deserves exaltation. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. But this aspect of enjoying him, you know, many times maybe we see him as the, sort of this old man ogre, you know, up there in the throne and uh, with a big stick. No, we are to enjoy Christ. He is an attractive uh, God, and uh, we are to present people to Christ as a beautiful Christ. He is to be enjoyed. So that is one of our pillars, the exaltation and enjoyment of Christ. Secondly, the sufficiency of Scripture for life and godliness. The sufficiency for, of Scripture for life and godliness. That is very, very important because many uh, people come down there and they'll give conferences on, on different topics, even theological topics, practical ministry topics, and, and they will use pragmatism, they'll use pop psychology, church growth techniques, and all. And we give conferences, and we say, no, our base, our foundation is the Holy Scriptures. And it's sufficient. It's sufficient for all that pertains to life 
and godliness. And the third is the centrality of the local church as the context for spiritual growth. The centrality of a local church. Now, we are Meta, and um, we, all of us uh, on the staff are uh, on the board there, are involved in churches. Uh, I'm also an elder uh, at a local church there in, uh, in Siguatepeque. And uh, so we, we want to tell people, we want to share people that, that we are an arm of the local church. God called the local church, the, that, that local church, that organism, Christ is building that organism, and there's nothing, there's nothing, not even the gates of hell, that will prevail against it. And so, so this, is, this, is, this is Christ's body, this is Christ's work, and so we just want to come alongside and help uh, exalt Christ through the local church. Now, how do we do this? We do this with four different programs. The first one is a conference ministry. A conference ministry where we offer uh, about uh, 10 to 12 conferences a year, three-day conferences. That's about one conference a month. And they're three-day conferences, and there's like 10 hours of teaching in these conferences. People come from all over Honduras, and also from El Salvador, also from Nicaragua. And um, we've had some from Guatemala. Uh, and so we, we can house in our complex, there are about 125 uh, pastors, leaders, and they come in, and, and it's, a, it's a refreshing time in the Word. They can listen to the Word. But we also have added this other program that uses the same conferences that makes it a little more, if you will, academic for the people as they can take uh, these conferences, and if they take 12 conferences in two years and do some homework and all, they can get a certificate uh, that shows that accomplishment. And so that's called the Institute of Pastoral Ministry. But we also do these, this for the ladies, too. And we also have a special conference for the ladies. And they can do that uh, so that they could be also equipped to uh, teach women and children. And then the last program we, we have is the Seminary for Expository Preaching, which we call CEPE, Seminario para la, la Predicación Expositiva. And this, uh, this is a more intense program you can look at the conferences as this. It's a well-cooked dish, the conferences. And the seminary is teaching them how to prepare a well-cooked dish. And so, and that's basically what birthed the seminary, is people would come to the conference and say, wow, we want to be able to do that. Pastors would say that and say, okay, let's start the seminary. The seminary started in 2006, and we've graduated 36 men so far that have gone out and they're in the in trenches there, uh, in, in their churches, and they're preaching Christ with power, passion, and precision. I've had the opportunity to go to several of these churches to, or, or, uh, to be part of the ordination of some of these pastors. And it's just, it's just so, so wonderful to see. Just real quick, the seminary is in modular. It's a modular program, meaning that we have two-week modules, and there's eight of them offered a year. And they come in for two weeks, two, uh, two weeks intensive study. And then they go back for about four or five weeks, and then they come back. Um, we do it that way because we don't want to take these men out of the ministry. We target mostly pastors that are already in the ministry. And so we don't want to take them out for four years and leave their ministry. So we do that. And it's possible even if you live close to the seminary to not even miss a Sunday all year, all year long. Because they come in Monday morning, uh, leave a Saturday, and then come back. Uh, the Monday and the next Saturday. And, uh, but a lot of them who are far away from Meda uh, stay that weekend, that middle weekend, and just uh, serve in a church in, in Siwatepeque. So these, uh, these are the programs that God has 
given us to offer the pastors there. And I just wanted to uh, just encourage you to pray for us. And also, if you guys want to come and visit us, if you're in the neighborhood, right? <laughs> come and visit us. Uh, it, is, it is a one shot from, from Atlanta. Delta flies straight to San Pedro Sula. It's about a two-and-a-half-hour trip and then a two-hour uh, climb to the mountain. So what I pick is in the mountains, a beautiful, beautiful area there. It's a beautiful mountainous country. Uh, and there are so many opportunities to serve, so many opportunities. We, we have, of course, the, the ministry there. Uh, there's some construction projects in the, at Meta as well as in churches, local churches, evangelism opportunities. There's even medical opportunities for those who have medical skills. We have a clinic at the church. Uh, so we invite you to uh, to be able to, to to do that to offer your services for that. There's you can even uh, preach the gospel in in schools there in, in public schools. Uh, you know, so uh, if you have a, a desire to do that, uh, you can come and do that. So I'd love to talk to, to to Shane a little more about all the opportunities and maybe get a group up to come down and and serve there. Let me just end this little presentation with this one little testimony. Um, oh, there's just so many, so many testimonies. But uh, the last class, it, it, the, in seminary, we have several uh, preaching classes where the students actually preach. They preach every year except the third year because of the way the third year works. But we, we try to give them opportunities to preach. And the last class that the, the soon-to-be graduates have is a preaching lab where they preach. And this was last November. Uh, it goes from February to November of the year. And so November, we had this preaching lab. Well, November's also, this last November was also our election year uh, in, uh, where we were electing a president. And so I was sitting in our classroom, and uh, the preacher got up to preach, so the student got up to preach. And at the same time, in, at the nearby plaza, nearby plaza there, we could hear a candidate that was there in a the plaza uh, you could actually hear him speak. It's just really loud. You know, they have this whole loud system. And you know how it is, all the hoopla and all promising different things. And this is what we'll do. We'll stop crying. We'll do this and we'll do that. You know, and people, everybody's shouting and everything. And this preacher here is, is preaching in front of me. And it just struck me. It just struck me. How ironic. Here is a man in the plaza offering hope for the country and the real hope is in this preacher right here in this classroom who is disciplining himself to study the word of God, to preach it with power, passion, and precision. And I said, man, I'm glad I'm here and I'm not in the plaza. You know, I'm glad I'm listening to this. I'm part of this to be able to help these guys to go to their churches and to, and to just preach to them and to, and to uh, uh, equip their churches to be the light of the world and to bring the hope, the true hope, to Honduras, not only to Honduras, but all of Central America and Latin America. So do pray for us. It's an exciting, exciting ministry. Well, with that said, I would like for you to turn to the scriptures, to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. This is just a, a great, great book as it deals with living evangelistically, if you will. And I would like to turn your attention to verses 12 through 15. Verses 12 through 15, the last four verses of this precious letter. 
And this is what the word of God says. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis. For I have decided to spend the winter there. Diligently help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Now, many times when we are sort of on a read the Bible through a year program, uh, there are some passages that we like to sort of camp on and just really savor it. And then there's some other passages that we say, you know, we're just going to kind of gloss over that, you know. And this, these verses here might be one of those passages you say, you know, these are the last verses. Uh, there's people's names. There's sort of like greetings and all. That's sort of common. So we're just not going to really camp there. I really want to get to Philemon. It's just the next page over. We're going to read that. There's a lot of good stuff in Philemon. And we just kind of skip over it. But there is so much truth in this passage, and I don't want us to miss it. It's, it's, it's a beautiful passage because what it is really is Christ's commission in action. That's what we find in this passage is Christ's commission in action. I believe we can find some wonderful principles to be applied in our, in our own lives uh, on Christ's commission. Now, so that we can understand that, we've got to put this in context. We've got to understand who is writing this. This is Paul writing this, and we have to understand his heart. Because if we don't understand this heart, we will not understand this passage. So, who is Paul? Well, let's go back to uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, he's introducing the letter. He is identifying himself. This is who is writing this letter. A bond servant of God. Wow, you could just stop right there and do a whole sermon just on that identification, that identity. A bond servant of God. It is that that slave of God. When he says, I am a slave of God, he says, I belong, I am the property of God. God is my owner. This is, this is more than just, you know, this is a, this is a good uh, uh, employer and he's, he's got some great suggestions and uh, I just, hey, those are great suggestions. I follow his suggestions. He's a great leader. No, this is more than that. This is God, the owner of Paul. And basically, Paul's saying here is, as I identify myself as a bond slave of God, I am telling you I have absolutely no other option but to obey him, absolutely, totally surrendered to his calling. He is my owner. Whatever he says, I must do. I must do. And he also says there that he is the apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, when he says the apostle of Jesus Christ, the word apostle here has the idea of representing. He's, represent, he's the representative of Jesus Christ. And, of course, this is a very unique uh, title that was given to uh, the, uh, the, cho- the 12 chosen apostles and he himself being chosen, as we see in 1 Corinthians 15. And he was chosen to be part of this great endeavor to 
start the church, as we see in uh, Acts chapter 9 and beyond in, in his calling. And so he's, he represents Jesus Christ. So when he says he represents Jesus Christ, this is his passion. Paul's heart is Christ. You know, if, if you want somebody to know you for something, that is a highly worthy thing to be known for. So who are you? I'm Christ's. I belong to him. And Paul preached Christ. That was his passion. I preach Christ. Now why? He says, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness. Now here's his his task. Here is his mission. His mission is to preach to the people who he knows are chosen of God. He doesn't know who they are, but they are chosen of God so that God in his sovereign grace will touch the hearts of these people who hear the gospel and through the gospel preaching, faith will be aroused and birthed and they will come and surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. Now, this faith that is aroused and, and, and birthed in the hearts of men is not a cheap faith. This is not cheap grace, but this is a grace that produces transformed lives. That's why it says, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness, which could also be translated, which promotes godliness, or another way of saying, which truly transforms lives. Truly transforms lives. So, so that's the reason why Paul was so passionate, because he had something that truly worked. That's why he says in Romans chapter 1, In verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Why am I not ashamed of the gospel? Because it is the power. Power. It it, it has power in it, you know, for salvation. A salvation that transforms lives. A salvation that that brings in a, a regenerate nature and produces a life of good Deeds of good deeds. And that's why in verse 1 of chapter 2, and he says to Titus, But as for you, speak these things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Speak these things that conform to sound doctrine. The center of sound doctrine is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Speak these things that show forth a transformed life that is fitting of sound doctrine. Sound doctrine produces a transformed life. And because he's an apostle of Jesus Christ, he also carries the authority of Jesus Christ. That word apostle also has the authority. And and so he, he speaks and he writes this letter with all authority as if Christ himself was writing this letter. And so that's why in chapter 2, verse 15, he says to Titus, these things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. With all authority. We have an authoritative, sufficient word. And so Paul's concern here is to preach Christ, and Christ is who will, pro- will produce a transformed life. 
And so in chapter 2, we see that basically is what he, what he talks about here. What are the things that are fitting for, of sound doctrine well? He directs himself or addresses different people of the church. Uh, first of all, he addresses the older men, and then he addresses the older women, and then he addresses the younger women, uh, then he addresses the younger men, and then in verse uh, 9 and 10, he addresses the bond slaves and their relationship to their masters. And then in verse 11, he says the basis of all this, the reason that we should live the way a, a transformed life, a transformed life that is also a life that, that preaches the gospel, is because the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. The emphasis we could see uh, in, in one verse, we can, see, we can say that this is sort of the key verse in Titus, and that is Titus chapter 3, verse 8. This is a trustworthy statement. Concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God, those who have put faith in Christ, those who have been regenerated, those whose faith has been aroused, Listen to what it says, that they will be careful to engage in good deeds because a faith that is aroused by God, regenerate nature, will produce a transformed life and those will then engage in good deeds. So, Paul, his life was dedicated to preach Christ. Just as we know from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 22, for indeed Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Christ crucified. Chapter 2, verse 2, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So what is Paul's passion? Paul's passion is to preach Christ. Preach Christ to advance the gospel cause to all the nations, to all the nations. He was the apostle to the Gentiles, as we see in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2. The apostle to, so this is his passion. So this is what drives him. So when we come to chapter 3 and verse 12 through 15, and he says, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, he's not saying, okay, I'm going to just... Just stop with everything that I said, and you know, hey, hey, Titus, I got another project. I, you know, I kind of want to build this resort on the beach and just kind of hang out, you know, have a nice little time there, maybe sip our lemonade on a lounge terrace on the beach, you know, and so, you know, hey, why don't you come and help me? What is driving Paul? What is it that's driving Paul? Paul is driven by the preaching of the gospel. And what we see from 12 to 15 is him working out Christ's commission. He's working out Christ's commission. That's why I've entitled it Christ's Commission in Action. What we have here really is a missions passage, a passage on missions. We observe really a a sending agency, if you will. When I send, here we go, when I send, we, we see some missionaries actually named Artemis, Tychicus, Zenus, Apollos, and of course, Titus. And we even have mission fields expressed here. The mission field of Crete, uh, Nicopolis, and even beyond. So what do we want to see here? Well, in these final words, God, through his servant Paul, 
presents us six requirements, if we will, six demands of Christ's commission for spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ across the world, across the world. Six demands of Christ's commission. First demand. Christ's commission requires or demands equipped men. Equipped men. Look with me in verse 12, first part. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you. I hear Paul mentions two people that he obviously knows intimately, Artemis and Tychicus. Now, Artemis, we really don't know much about him. This is the only place that is mentioned in the New Testament. But he apparently had qualities similar to that of Tychicus. And of Tychicus, we do know something. Uh, He's first mentioned in Acts chapter 20, verse 4. In Acts 20, verse 4, we see this. This mention of him, it says, and he was accompanied by Sopater, just talking about Paul. Paul was accompanied by Sopater of Berea, the son of Pyrrhus, and uh, by Aristarchus and Segundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. We see different regions there, and we see different representatives of different regions that Paul was accompanied with to do what? To take the financial offering to Jerusalem. And we see that in the region of Asia, who was chosen was Timothy, Tychicus, and Trophimus. Tychicus was one of them chosen to help represent the churches in Asia Minor and take that financial gift to Jerusalem. So what do we know about Tychicus? Well, he was a trustworthy man. We can uh, conclude from here that he was a man that could be trusted, that people say, hey, let's, let's choose Tychicus. We can trust him with the money to go and help out those in need in Jerusalem. Now, other qualities we see of him is in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21. says there, Paul says, But that you also may know about my circumstances, how I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. He, he calls him a beloved brother. It, this speaks of, of that intimate relationship that they have. He's beloved. He, he gels well with, with Paul. He, uh, he works well with him. He's, he's a team player. Uh, Paul uh, did not have to worry about him. And, and he also calls him a faithful minister. In other words, he had proven himself to, to be able to work hard. He was a hardworking man. The, a Christ-centered attitude is what he had. And, and to Paul, he was faithful. He was trustworthy. Paul did not need to micromanage Tychicus. We also see something about a little more about him in Colossians 4, 7 through 8. It says, As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant, and, and, and interesting, he says, and fellow bond servant, Fellow bond servant in the Lord. Faithful servant and fellow bond servant in the Lord will bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. And when he says bond servant, he is linking himself to what he is. He's linking, he's linking a, a Tychicus to what he is, a bond servant of the Lord. In other words, he also has displayed this submissive attitude to his owner, to his master, to to his command, to to God's ministry. And the obvious implication is 
that Tychicus had shown forth a growth in the knowledge of Christ. As he grows in the knowledge of Christ, he is submitting to him. So Tychicus had a good theology. And that was the basis for his submission. That was the basis of him becoming a slave in the Lord. A slave in the Lord. So, so we see that obviously that we can conclude that Paul was instrumental in these men's lives to train them. To train them to become submissive. To train them as they grew in the knowledge of Christ. But another quality that we see here is that he could encourage others' hearts. You notice that the person who is, he's a people person, not a social outcast or common word used today, a sociopath. He was one who had the ability to, to encourage others and come alongside them. Uh, this, that, that's a quality that's definitely needed as one who is called to a foreign field. In 2 Timothy 4.12, we also see this about him. It says, Paul says, But Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Obviously, he was prepared for the ministry, so much so that Paul felt free to send him off. He was an equipped and prepared man, faithful, trustworthy, a team player, a truth-trained man. That resulted in submission and becoming an encourager. Paul knew the ministry of the gospel required faithful, trustworthy men. Men who were lovers of the ministry. Men who were willing to serve in whatever situation, regardless of its difficulty. Because the ministry is no easy task. It requires men of strength and it requires men much Patience. So for this reason, Paul took time to train, develop, and equip Artemis, Tychicus, to be such servants of God for the ministry of the gospel. Because Christ's commission requires men who are equipped, men who are faithful, men who know their master, men who want to serve their master in preaching the gospel. Secondly, Christ's commission demands a strategic plan. You could also call it an intentional plan. Christ's commission demands a strategic or intentional plan. The commissioner, the, the one who is, is sending out, uh, has the discernment to strategically position the right man for the right job. The right missionary for the right mission. Now, if we go back to verse 12, I send Artemis Articicus to you, we see here the first mission mentioned. I send to you, sending to Crete. Now that Paul had trained these men, Paul sees the need to send them to their mission. Look at this first mission. It's interesting, and a bit odd, actually. It was to replace Titus in Crete. It's a bit odd, for at least the time. We're not sure. We don't have all the details. So, so this means that in less than a year, Titus had the responsibility 
to take the instructions of this letter and begin the process of instructing the churches. We saw in chapter, we see in chapter 1, verse 5, for this reason, I left you in Crete that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. That's a huge, huge task. And not just one city, but the cities, different churches. And so Titus has this responsibility. But we see here in chapter 3, verse 12, that he wants Titus to go from Crete to Nicopolis. And so he's got these three missionaries, if you will, Artemis, Tychicus, and Titus. And Paul is deciding what to do with them. What to do with them. But remember, what is driving Paul? What drives Paul is his passion for Christ. And so he has to discern what would be the best way and the most effective way to use all these three men. And so he decides that one of the two, Artemis and Tychicus, will go to Crete to replace Titus, and Titus will come to Nicopolis, which is uh, the other mission we see here. Now, Nicopolis, where is Nicopolis? We're not sure exactly. There's different views on where that could be, but most likely it's, it's the, this, this one's the capital of Epirus on the western coast of Greece. This also would concur with the fact that after Titus was there, in 2 Timothy 4.10, we see that he is sent to Dalmatia, which is just north of Epirus. Now, I want you to note something here. He says, make every effort to come. Now, that, that, that expression here, make every effort to come, is, is the expression spudazzo, which means uh, do all you can, work hard, uh, spare no effort to come to me. This is urgent. Come to me in Nicopolis, for I plan to winter there. And this is what it says. Make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have, look at that word, decided. Decided. Now, Paul had decided to spend the winter in Nicopolis. The word decided has the idea of carefully, or we could say strategically, contemplating. Strategically, he was contemplating that this would be the best thing to do. He was strategizing. That's what he's doing in verse 12. He's strategizing. Now, apparently, Paul sent Artemis to Crete because as we already read in 2 Timothy 4, 12, Tychicus was sent to Ephesus. So there's got to be strategy. You've got these men that are equipped. Now he says, okay, I'm going to start positioning them. There's got to be a strategy. There's got to be intention. Why? Because we want the, the most effect the most, that, that which is most effective on the field. I say this because it is interesting what happens on the field. When I, when, I, when I got to Honduras, it's amazing how many missionaries are there. Many missionaries come to, to, to Honduras. And I remember uh, talking to one of them. And I said, hey, uh, so what, what is it you do here? He goes, well, I just sit in my house. And I just wait for the Spirit to tell me what to do next. Hey, uh, <laughs> what is that? You know, what does that mean? You know, yeah, he says, I, you know, I felt the calling of the Lord uh, to come. I, you know, I really didn't know what I was going to do. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure, but I, I just know the Lord called me to Honduras. So I just sit there and I just wait for him to direct me. That's not what I see here. I see Paul 
contemplating, strategizing. I mean, there's intention here. Guys, we need Christ's commission to be strategically effective. Strategically effective. And I believe, if, if you will, if I, I believe that Meta is a strategic ministry in Honduras. And just like uh, Pastor Shane said, um, I, I truly believe if, if you have interests in, in supporting orphanages, if you have interests in supporting social uh, works, if you have interest in supporting uh, uh, medical uh, ministries, and things, those are great. I think one of the most effective ways to support those things is a well-trained pastor, a well-trained pastor who can then guide his people on how to do that kind of ministry, how to do the orphanage in, in, in a most effective way. And so there's got to be strategy. There's got to be intentional, effective strategy. So Christ's commission requires a strategic plan. Thirdly, verse 13, Christ's commission requires sacrificial support. Requires sacrificial support. Verse 13, diligently help Zenos, the lawyer, and the Paulus on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. We see two other missionaries here, if you will. Zenos, the lawyer. Again, this name is not mentioned in any other part of the New Testament, but because of Paul's expression of support for him, we, we see that he was loved by Paul and obviously a trustworthy and godly man. Paul says he was a lawyer. We're not exactly sure whether his expertise was in Jewish law or, or Roman law, but at any rate, he obviously was a man, a person skilled in this field to, to carry that identification, that identity, Zenos the lawyer. But above all, he was a man who had won Paul's trust as a believer, and since he is mentioned alongside of Apollos, he was also a co-laborer of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Apollos, we do know some about. Recall, he's mentioned in Acts chapter 18, verses 24 and 28, and different qualities that we see of Apollos there. We see that he was a mighty in the scriptures. We see that he was teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. But we also see this aspect of Apollos. Uh, We see in verse 26, and he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And also in verse 28, we see that he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So we see from Acts 18, we see the skill of this man of God in the word. We see that he was bold, his boldness to confront the religious establishment of the day. But we also see this very, very important quality of this equipped man who was teachable. He was a teachable man. Remember, he was he was skilled in, in, in preaching and mighty in the scriptures. And when Priscilla and Aquila came to him and, conf- and just wanted to help him through to, so that he could teach more accurately, he could have said, hey, 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 guys, you hear me. You see the crowd I'm drawing. You know, don't, 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 don't tell me anything. I'm, I'm, my, my ministry is, is, is doing well. But no, he listened. An equipped man needs to be, he's equipped, but he needs to be teachable because he's still growing as well. Uh, we have these conferences, and, uh, and we have some, some, some really good guys come in. 
Um, we're, we're actually live streaming our conferences. If you want to actually, uh, you can actually see it, uh, most of them in Spanish, but we do have English speakers that are translated as well. And we even had a, a pastor in, in North Carolina who says, wow, we don't even do this here in our church, you know. They're, they're great men that come and they teach, and, and sometimes I'm not able to, to sit on it, but I, I want to sit under these men. I want, I'm, you know, I'm there, sent out to train and all, but I need to be trained still. I'm still being discipled. We need to be teachable. So we see Paulus here who is also teachable. Now, Paul tells Titus here in verse 13, diligently help. Now, the idea here is help them in their travels. Apparently, Paulus and, and Zenos were only traveling through Crete toward some other mission. We can see here also the willingness of these men to bear up under the pressures that traveling offers for the advancement of the gospel. Now, such men brought joy to Paul, so much joy that he wanted that these men be taken care of, be taken care of. These were faithful co-laborers in the faith, and he wanted them to be taken care of. And he says, diligently help so that nothing is lacking for them. You can see here that Paul was specifically concerned for their physical and financial needs. He wanted to make sure that these men were physically tended to and they would lack nothing in their trip. In those days, this was a way that these missionaries were supported. So the idea here is free these men up. Titus, free these men up. Free them up from physical and financial burdens to be able to effectively do the ministry of the gospel. Because Christ's commission also requires sacrificial support. This goes along with the spirit of 3 John 5.8. I recall that passage. It says, Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, especially when they are strangers. And, and they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. Why? For they went out for the sake of of the name, the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. These are Christ-centered men who are ministering for Christ, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, therefore, we ought to, our, our obligation, support such men, verse 8, so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. So this third requirement of Christ's commission sacrificial support. There should be concern with the physical and financial needs of those who are sent out. Fourthly, Christ's commission demands church involvement. Listen to verse 14. Remember verse 13 said, diligently help them so that nothing is lacking for them. Verse 14, our people must also, also. And that also links it back to verse 13. Also do what? Well, it says they're engaged in good deeds. And since that also is there, it's in, this engaging in good deeds is this support. So Paul is saying, hey, Titus, you as a leader should be concerned with the physical needs of these passing through missionaries. But our people, in other words, the church, Everyone in the church, each person in the church must also be concerned. Everybody should be involved in this Christ-centered endeavor by sacrificially supporting. 
It shouldn't be just 10% of the church gives 90% of the offering, you know. Everybody should give for this Christ-centered endeavor to proclaim the gospel across the nations. And that's what he's saying. Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet these pressing needs. There are pressing needs out there. And the church can be involved in such an intimate way. And what's the benefit? It's an incredible benefit. So that they will not be unfruitful. Or to say another way, so that the church, all those who have involved themselves, can also enjoy the fruit of these missionaries' ministry. They can enjoy the fruit. As the church gives towards this great gospel commission, it intimately participates in Christ changing the world through missions. It enjoys its fruit. You give, and as that Honduran surrenders his life to Christ, you are instrumental in doing that. And you can enjoy that fruit intimately, intimately, because you have become involved. So, Christ's commission also demands the whole church to be involved. Fifthly, Christ's commission demands constant encouragement. It demands constant encouragement. It is really no small thing that Paul ends almost all his letters with saying, all who are with me greet you. And he, he gives this, this, this greeting at the end. Is he just signing off his email? No. He is encouraging him. He is encouraging Titus. All who are with me greet you. All refers to the people in the faith who were with Paul. And he says, greet those who love us in the faith. So Paul recognizes that there is this special intimacy among believers of like faith. That, that is something unequal. That is something that we cannot even, it's a sort of mysterious, you know, that you are a brother and a sister of the Honduran brothers and sisters. And there's this intimacy that we enjoy with each other. And so, and, and, and so, and so when there's a missionary out there and he receives an email or a letter that says, hey, Faith Community Church greets you. What that's saying is, we're behind you. We are standing firm behind this Christ-centered endeavor, this Christ commission. We want you to know that we are praying for you. We want you to know and we want you to be encouraged that we're standing in a faith. There are still some here. And in, in, that, in that time, a lot of people were, were abandoning the faith. And, and this was a statement to say there are still some here that have not abandoned the faith. Greet those who love us in the faith. With all the hardships and opposition in the ministry, Paul wanted to encourage these ministers of the gospel with the reality of those who have stood faithful in hard times. And then sixthly, Christ's commission demands faithful prayer. Faithful prayer. Now, where do I get that? Last five words. Grace be with you all. You know what that is? Prayer. That's Paul's prayer for Titus. Hey, Titus, I'm praying for you, and this is what I pray for you. Grace be with you all, not just Titus. I'm praying that grace will be with all those churches there, 
I'm praying that grace will be with those who come through, Zenos and, and Apollos, Tychicus. And I'm praying, I'm praying that grace will be with you all. Simple but very profound prayer. This is the grace that secures salvation to the sinner, but this grace is also what provides strength, strength to carry out the great commission. It is, it is that undeserved favor in God, of God in Christ in saving, sanctifying, but also empowering. We need grace daily, every second of our lives. Be empowered to carry out the mission. Let me let you in on a secret. Missionary sin too, you know. We need grace daily. We, we get angry. Sometimes we get jealous. We get scared. We need grace. We need people praying for us to have grace, to be empowered so that we could carry out Christ's commission. So the sixth requirement of Christ's commission is to, is to faithfully pray for the strength of Christ's men. Missionaries have many obstacles they face. Only God's empowering grace that enables us to carry out Christ's great commission. Christ's commission demands equipped men. It demands a strategic plan. It demands sacrificial support, church involvement, constant encouragement, and faithful prayer. May we all be intimately involved Christ's great commission, training, strategizing, supporting, encouraging, praying with bold, gospel-driven passion. And let's turn the world upside down for the exaltation and enjoyment of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, that you would send down your son. You would send him down to live a godly life, a righteous life, to die on that cruel cross, to satisfy your righteousness, to obviate your wrath, to bring forgiveness of sins to us, that Christ's righteousness might be imputed in us. We can enjoy Christ now. The hope of this life. Father, I pray that we would have a passion to preach Christ. And that passion will extend to see Christ preach across all the nations. There will be equipped men. There will be good strategies. There will be sacrificial support and encouragement and prayer that Christ might be exalted above all. We thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.